Welcome to From Russia with Blood, your source of gruesome, highly disturbing, and unbelievable but true crime stories from behind the Soviet curtain. Join our investigation as we go into the shadows to cast light on the nightmarish darkness of the Soviet past, if you dare. The episode you are about to hear contains material of an explicit sexual and criminal nature that some listeners may find extremely disturbing. This podcast is not suitable for minors. Please proceed at your own discretion. One of the most enduring symbols of Moscow is a cathedral in Red Square featuring a number of beautiful, colorful domes each fashioned in its own unique shape. It goes by various names, as it is, in fact, a complex that unites several churches. It has been rebuilt several times and received its current form back in the 16th century, following the order of the Russian Tsar Ivan IV, better known as Ivan the Terrible. St. Basil's Cathedral was built as was the custom of the day, to commemorate the capture by the Russian army of the city of Kazan, which used to be the capital of the Khanate of Kazan. The Khanate was one of the successor states of the Golden Horde, a Mongol empire whose troops at the peak of its might successfully defeated great armies in the European lands now known as Poland, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Bulgaria. However, the winds of fortune change over time, and from the 16th century, Kazan became a part of Russia. Now Kazan is a multicultural center, one of the ten biggest cities in Russia, with Christian churches and Muslim mosques side by side, state-of-the-art shopping malls, a subway system, and countless museums. It was not, though, much different from other Soviet cities back in 1943, in the middle of the Second World War. Red banners hanging on state buildings, armed patrols guarding the streets, local and displaced people alike queuing for food. There, in Kazan, on 23rd of March, a boy was born, Alexei Sukletin. This story is about him. Alexei never knew his father, and his mother, soon after the birth of her son, started working in field hospitals as a nurse. Thus we can safely say that the boy's earliest memories were those of suffering soldiers, wounded, disabled people, and great volumes of blood. Blood on bandages, blood in waste buckets from surgeries, blood in the water in which his mother had to wash those same bandages for repeated and unceasing use. Alexei never was up to much good. At the age of six, he caught and strangled a kitten with his bare hands. Some time later, he caught his friend's dog and killed it. 
He had to go to school, of course. Every child in the Soviet Union had to go to school. But he did not like the experience very much. He was a poor student. His report card was invariably filled with C's and D's. While in his teens, he developed a fondness for drink, and from that moment on, the drink would never let Alexei go. When drunk, he became violent, aggressive, and he lost all control. Alexei's first run-in with the law was in 1959, when he was 16. Girls preferred to give Alexei a wide berth, but his quickly developing body required physical intimacy, and he decided to take by force what was not available by what we now call mutual consent. One February evening, quite drunk, he saw a girl walking alone in the street. He followed her, and in the proverbial dark alley caught up with her, pulled out a knife and made her lie down on the snow. He yanked down her warm stockings and panties and was excited by her white, motionless flesh. Guzel, which was the poor girl's name, was so petrified that she did not even shout. But two passers-by saw some suspicious movements in the bushes. They called out to the boy to stop whatever he was doing, but in his drink-induced bravery, he told them to fuck off. They did not. Instead, they dragged him off his victim, gave him a thorough beating, and then took both him and the terrified Guzel to the nearest police station. Alexei was charged with attempted rape. He showed remorse. He wept in front of the judge. So did his mother. This was probably why the sentence he received was quite mild. Just two years in a corrective labor colony. As he had not yet come of age, he spent his first year in the colony for children. For the second year, he was transferred to the real colony for grown men. It was not a happy experience. Rapists are despised by the real criminals. He was insulted, beaten, humiliated. After doing his time, Alexei left as the slogan above every Soviet corrective labor colony read, to live free with a clean conscience. Overjoyed at being free, Alexei went on to celebrate in the only way known to him, with alcohol. And to buy alcohol, one needs money. One day, while drinking with two friends in a watering hole, he came up with the idea of getting some cash. He knew of an old woman, a pensioner who lived nearby. The three men went to her apartment and rang the bell. Gas company, here to check the meter, they announced. In those days, there were no name tags, no company uniforms, no obligatory IDs. The old woman let the three visitors in. While one of them went into the kitchen, where the gas stove stood, another one told the old woman to give them her money. The old woman wept and said she had none, but the already drunk visitors did not believe her. They hit her on the head, and while she lay on the floor, 
unconscious, went on to search the small apartment. They soon found an envelope with 80 rubles, the old woman's monthly pension. And they went out to spend the loot, not even bothering to lock the door behind them. That was not a clever move. Not at all. A passing neighbor was surprised to see the usually locked door of the old woman's apartment ajar, went in to check on her and found her unconscious on the floor. The neighbor called the police and the ambulance, and when the old woman came too, she had no difficulty describing the three gas workers in detail. They were arrested a couple of hours later in a nearby pub. This time there were no tears in the courtroom. Alex say in the eyes of the law was now a repeat offender and thus received the most severe sentence of the three accused, 12 years imprisonment. There are two types of prisons in Russia, red ones and black ones. A black prison is de facto ruled by the prisoners according to the unwritten laws of the underworld. The prison administration cooperates with the prisoners and they maintain order among themselves. A red prison is ruled by the prison authorities. It is supposed to be run according to the prison regulations, but more often than not it is run according to the whims and desires of the prison guards. Cooperation, even collaboration of prisoners with the administration is mandatory if you want to survive. Ample anecdotal evidence suggests it is a lot easier to serve your time in a black prison, which is a lot more humane. And from the very beginning of his 12-year term, Alexei started to cooperate with the prison administration. He ratted on his fellow prisoners. It was a hard life playing by the red rules in a black prison, but that way he got at least some protection and privileges. This did not, however, get him any breaks in the end. Although a convict having good relations with the administration is more likely to get parole, Alexei spent every day of his prison term behind bars. He did not waste his time completely, though. He read every single book they had in the library, thus making up for his lost education. This did make a change in his life when he was released. Although far from being the best-looking man, he finally managed to find that evasive key to the opposite sex. Alexei took stock in the old saying that goes, A woman loves with her ears. Every woman, he would say, is a fine musical instrument. After being released from prison, Alexei now considered himself the maestro, able to find the melody that sounds best in each case. Being able to sound good in speech represented quite a change from the drunken fiasco with Guzel. Now he got every woman he fancied, sometimes even two a day. I can seduce even a widow on her husband's grave, he once boasted. Alexei settled in Kazan and eventually got married. He'd chosen nice wife, beautiful, submissive, clean. She was a good cook, 
and never wanted anything from Alexei. He liked it that way. She never asked any questions. He still could visit other women when he wanted. The only problem was that he did not like it when she was in a good mood. His investigating officer later wrote that when she was smiling and generally enjoying herself, Alexei would come up to her, stick his finger between her ribs, then bend and twist it, causing insufferable pain. He later improved his skill by using the fingers of both hands at the same time. This family happiness did not last long, though. One day his wife told him that he was about to become a father. This was not something he was looking forward to. So he beat the woman up, then threw her out of his house. Now I'm free again, he told a friend. He kept drinking, though, and meeting his friends. Once in a pub, he was drunkenly boasting about his prison experiences. He offered to prove to his friends what a hard ex-con he was. Alexei followed another patron into the toilet, and a knife point demanded his wallet. He came to on the floor, dirty and wet, smelling of chlorine, liquid shit, and urine. He did not know that his proposed victim was a renowned wrestler. What he did know, pulling himself up from the floor, was that he had lost face, the respect of his friends, and had to move away rather than become the laughingstock of the whole city. He left Kazan, moved to the village of Vasilyeva, tried his hand working in a psychiatric clinic as an orderly, and eventually set himself up as a security guard in a nearby private garden allotment. As a security guard, he was provided with a little house to live in. He soon found a partner. Her name was Madina Shakirova, and she went by the name Dina. She was a local girl, the daughter of two factory workers. After she had finished school, Dina tried her luck moving away from home and working in Uzbekistan where she had an uncle but Dina did not like it there and went back to Vasilyeva for two reasons. In Uzbekistan, she had been raped by a lesbian resident in the factory hostel where they lived. Moreover, she had started a relationship with a driver named Rashid. When she became pregnant, Rashid told her to get rid of the child, but she gave birth to a daughter and then returned home to her parents. Dina was a very self-conscious young woman. She thought that men did not like her because she was a daughter of ordinary factory workers and she was not well-educated. She dreamt of meeting a prince who looked like Alain Delon. Instead, life introduced her to Alexei. She moved to live with him into his little house, leaving her daughter in the care of her parents. It did not take Alexei long to realize the salary of his security guard was far from sufficient to lead a comfortable life. To remedy the situation, he came up with a plan that was rather ingenious and quite infallible. One evening, Dina was ordered to put on makeup, dress up, do her hair up really nice, and take the suburban train to Kazan. In the evening... At the station, she would then pretend to be a girl who just missed the last train home. 
At first, Dina walked up and down the platform a couple of times, then started to walk nervously in the square just in front of the station entrance. A single cab was parked there at the taxi rank, and the driver eventually noticed the girl and called her over. She confessed she had missed the last train and badly needed to return home to a little settlement near Vasilyeva. She had the money for the cab, seven rubles. The driver complained that the fare just one way would be nine-fifty, but the girl was so desperate that she promised him twenty rubles, even thirty, if he would only be so kind as to take her back. It was raining. The girl was lonely, sad, and desperate, and nice-looking. So why not? The young driver agreed. He stopped on their way and bought a bottle of brandy, just in case and a box of chocolates. The girl started telling him how unhappy she was in her marriage. Her husband often beat her and cheated on her. A lot. The driver told her that his wife was also cheating on him and thought that the money on brandy and chocolates had not been wasted. By the time they arrived at her house, they both knew what was to follow. She went in, checked that her husband was out, then invited the driver into the living room. They had some brandy and chocolates. They undressed, kissing. Then they moved into the bedroom and Dina carefully locked the door behind them and removed the key from the lock. Before they went to bed, Dina turned off the lights, leaving on only the standing lamp in the corner. She carefully closed all the curtains, keeping the corner window curtain just partially open. That was the signal. But before the driver could make any advances on the sexual front, before he could even plan his attack, so to speak, they suddenly heard a key in the lock. The poor driver tried to find his clothes, but they had been left in the next room. The door opened, and two men entered. One was Alexei, the other his partner in crime, Renat Volkov. Alexei, pretending to be the angry husband, rushed to the bed and loudly punched several times Dina's pillow. Dina obligingly shrieked. Renat, an ex-professional boxer, went for the driver. Once the driver had been knocked onto the floor, both men kept hitting and kicking his naked body. The driver could not defend himself. He just tried to cover his bleeding face and begged for mercy, promising to give them all the cash he had on him and in the car. That was the ingenious part of Alexei's plan. Now came the infallible part. They lifted up the battered driver and threw him on top of Dina. Renat took out a still camera they'd set up in advance and pretended to take pictures. Then Alexei positioned himself behind the driver, imitating a homosexual penetration. That was also photo-documented. They let the driver go, kept his money, and were sure he would never report what happened to anyone. This scheme became a regular source of income for the three criminals. And yet all the same Alexei was not completely happy. First of all, 
he could not help but realize that even in a big city like Kazan, the number of cab drivers ready to take a girl to Vasilyeva in the evening is finite. But mainly these beatings of cab drivers fell short of his even darker, deeper desire. This is the end of part one of Kazan. In our next episode, we discover more about Alexei's growing appetite for unspeakable crime. Please join us again for part two of Kazan. You have been listening to an episode of From Russia with Blood. It has been carefully researched and produced for you by the Hamovniki brothers. No matter how you found us or what interests brought you here, we're grateful to you for giving us your time, and please keep listening. From Russia with Blood is entirely listener-supported. Go to coffee.com forward slash FWRB, that's ko-fi.com forward slash FWRB for more information. Contributors get exclusive access to episode scripts and extras, including Hamovniki Zastalom, informal reflections, conversations, and insights into the culture of the times. You can follow From Russia with Blood on your preferred podcast platform for more unbelievably gruesome and previously unknown stories of true crime from behind the Soviet curtain.